Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. One joy of having a garden are aromatic plants. Annuals, perennials, shrubs, and trees that emanate a pleasant smell while you're walking through the yard, especially in the afternoon and evening. We call them shows for the nose. We talk with New York-based aromatherapist Amy Anthony about the power that various aromatic plants can instill in us. Plants that can make us happier, calmer, and braver. Really? Plus, Master Gardener and Chef Instructor Andy McDonald shares her recipe for vegan split pea soup, whose ingredients you might be growing in your garden right now. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Let's go. sure love shows for the nose plants that have a wonderful aroma uh, i remember as a child uh, growing up we had an oleander bush in our front yard and i just used to love that smell especially when it was in flower growing up i've just always been attracted to plants that just smell great at a certain time of year at a certain time of day one of my favorites right now is the michaelia figo also known as the magnolia figo the common name is banana shrub but it does not grow bananas but it produces these little flowers in late spring that they're fairly insignificant flowers but they smell like juicy fruit gum it's just a wonderful aroma and of course in the summertime you can grow tuberoses here well there's all sorts of aromatic plants my favorite right now that i have growing in the greenhouse and i'm looking forward to transplanting it out in the yard is a lemon verbena an aloysia and it just has this wonderful aroma when you just touch the leaves and put your fingers to your nose it smells just like lemon. It's excellent. So I thought we'd talk with a smell expert, somebody who knows her aromatic plants and aromatherapy. And of course, aromatherapy is much more than essential oils. It's an experience, one that connects you with nature, no matter where you are, one that inherently connects mind and body. Amy Anthony is with NYC Aromatica, and she has a podcast called Essential Aromatica. So uh, whether you are new to essential oils and aromatherapy or well-versed in the subject matter, essential aromatica can inspire you, elevate the possibilities for you of aromatherapy. So, Amy Anthony, it's a pleasure to be talking with you. And uh, I, I talked about some of my favorite uh, shows for the nose. What are some of your favorites? Oh, my gosh. What a beautiful introduction. I don't think I can keep up with that. Uh, but you mentioned lemon verbena. And I'm in the Long Island area, so we can't grow what you have in California. But every year I plant, I buy two to three lemon verbena plants and I grow them or I ask them to grow and then I harvest their leaves to make tea. I got sold on it when um, the master gardeners were growing a lemon verbena shrub. It really is a shrub uh, out at yeah. the uh, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. 
and one of the people in charge of the uh, herb section had taken some of the, the leaves and made lemon verbena cookies. And that was just so delicious. I go, I'm going to get this plant. So I'm looking forward to cookies. Yeah. And you're just touching on something that's amazing about aromatherapy and the, the aromatic plants, uh, the ones that give us essential oils. And we can go down that road about the nuance about that if you want. Sure. The essential oil is great, and I have so many bottles here with me, but just going and knowing the plant and touching it and smelling it, and like you were saying about that oleant, not oleander, the magnolia with insignificant flowers. The banana shrub, yeah. Banana shrub. You're making me think of uh, Korean boxwoods that have these incredibly insignificant flowers, but they're all over the place when they're in bloom, and you just hear the buzzing of all the insects as you go by the Korean boxwoods, and then you smell that smell of it, uh, of the plant, of the flower, just when you're really, when you're by the shrubs, and it's a certain time of year, like you're saying, it's... Scent takes us to a sense, if you will, of place and time, which is really powerful. Oh, yeah. Aromas can remind us of and, and bring to mind uh, great memories. I mean, as a vegetable gardener myself, the scent of just gently rubbing my finger up and down a tomato plant stem and smelling that, I go, oh, it's spring. <laughs> yeah. I love the reminder of what time of year it is and these golden nuggets we get to look forward to that are ephemeral and they're gone. Some sort of interesting relationship between how the nose works and how those aromas play on the brain. Like, I can still recall, this is a little gross, but it's true, in grade school. You know, when you're in grade school, kids throw up a lot. That happens. Well, Mr. Stevie was the janitor at uh, St. Charles Borromeo Elementary School in North Hollywood, and his job was to clean it up. And he used this concoction of it looked like green mulch that he would put on the spot. And that had this very significant aroma. And sometimes I get a whiff of that and I'm immediately transported back to St. Charles. Yeah, it is fascinating, a part of aromatherapy study and beyond that. But the the sense of smell is intimately linked with the hippocampus and memory formation and retention. So and that hippocampus can grow and still we can still retain and form new memories as we go through life. But you're really drawing upon something powerful. And I think your guests will appreciate this. Like we form scent memories, really deep ones when we're younger. And when our brains start to mature in our 20s, that sense of like immediate connection with scent just starts to, to diminish ever so little. You know, like, so we get these strong memories from childhood and it's, you know, it's just the way the brain is working. Yeah, it might even be more powerful than what the eyes see or the ears hear as far as how long it lasts with you. I'm just fascinated by it. And the fact that there are so many plants that have Wonderful aroma. Now, I noticed that in in your latest uh, podcast, Essential Aromatica, you talk about the juniper berry. Well, certainly uh, juniper plants grow in a wide variety of areas, the bane of most landscapers, because they're rather prickly to work with. Yes, but their their juniper is uh, what a noble, a noble old soul. I don't know. We can go, we can wax poetically about that, but yeah, juniper, I'm inspired by this time of year here in New York state. It's cold still ish. 
Keep me on track here because I'm like, it's actually kind of disgustingly warm here for February in New York. But anyway, juniper, right? Juniper is around the world. There's so many different species. It is a giver of its gorgeous berries that we can cook with. And it's an incredibly cleansing plant for the mind, cleansing for the spirit. The the berries are just so powerful. And before me, I have like three bottles of juniper berry essential oil. And you're inhaling it's it. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. Now, what about these diffusers? I mean, I, I, I got to confess, I got onto an aromatherapy kick and I bought three different diffusers for to scatter around the house and, and put different essential oils in them to enjoy. It, it, it turned out to be more work than we were willing to do, but still, it was a nice experience. Yes. So diffusion aromatherapy is very interesting. It could be incredibly powerful. And it depends on the kind of diffuser you have. So you can buy a nebulizing diffuser. You could buy one as a, a non-aromatherapy enthusiast. But the, that you just put in a chamber and vibration happens where it just a mist comes out. Mm-hmm. So it permeates the air and can go deeply into your lungs, actually. And then there's the water diffusers. Uh, ultrasonic diffusers where you put just a couple drops of essential oil on and you get that mood kind of situation. I'm making this distinction because diffusion aromatherapy, when you use that nebulizer, you get the more pharmaco, uh, pharmacological effects of inhaling the oil deeply into your body. And there's a distinction Ooh. between that. If you don't mind, we can go down this road of essential oils, but there's, it's a multi-layered cake of essential oils when you're working with the pure, genuine, authentic, concentrated essential oils. Mm-hmm. So what happens is like you and I touched upon, you smell something and you're like, Ooh, I recognize that. I know what that is. Oh, I like that. So there's already that happening. And then, you know, you might have a memory that you remember elementary school or uh, grandma's cooking. And then essential oils are antimicrobial in nature. They're heavily anti-inflammatory. Uh, they Many of them have affinities for the respiratory tract. And when you inhale this stuff, you are taking in that antimicrobial properties. You're also working with the nervous system, you know, uh, neuroendocrine system. So it is true that lavender can make you sleepy by working with uh, your nervous system receptors. That, I think that's the Sorry. reason I got it originally was uh, to, to put me to sleep quicker. And that was with the, the lavender essential oils. How easy is it to make your own essential oils from the plants you grow? That's a great question because I do distill uh, for the aromatic waters, the hydrosols. Uh, it takes a lot of plant material to obtain essential oils. So the figure I always use is lavender. Depending on the lavender plant location, you know, all that growing season, 250 to 300 pounds of flowering lavender tops to get a pound of oil. Uh, no, 350 pounds of flowering lavender tops must be harvested to then put into a still to then obtain one pound of oil. A lot of plant material. So we're talking like farms, you know, of a lot of plant material. So it's crazy. Like I grow lemongrass here mm-hmm. ornamentally and I'll cut it and I'll cut like three pounds of lemongrass. I get like not even a milliliter, of, you know, one ml. I get like nothing. Wow. So basically, if I want the essential oil of rosemary, I would need uh, 
an acre of rosemary if you're using the the flowers and not the leaves. And frankly, I'd rather the bees have the flowers in the wintertime. That's how I feel. Honestly, when I just still, I, I take what's on my property or I go to an organic farm near me and I take what I need for me, for my small aromatherapy practice. And then like you're saying, I want it for everybody else. You want to leave that behind and be responsible. I mean, there's a whole thing about the big billion dollar industries of essential oils and overuse and bad oils out there, bad business practices. Yeah, let's leave it for the insects. Well, yeah, especially uh, in USDA zone nine and in parts of eight, you can grow rosemary as a flowering plant in the wintertime. And that may be one of the few plants that the bees will be attracted to on nice days during the winter to uh, enjoy. I love how you mentioned rosemary because I have two pots of rosemary and I put them in the garage every winter. And every winter, without any water, because it's rosemary, they are flowering right now. They started flowering in early December. Mm -hmm. So every time I go in the garage, I see these two rosemary plants just happily doing their thing with no insects to visit them. Oh. (laughs) Now, it's kind of scaring me that you're growing rosemary in your garage. Are there lights or a bright window there? There uh, are some windows, and it gets the light it needs. It's just fascinating how plants are so resilient. <laughs> well, yeah, they they want to grow. For essential oils, are you mainly harvesting the flowers and not the leaves? That's a really great question, and it depends on the plant. So rosemary, you would want rosemary when it's flowering or just about to flower, and you would harvest the top thirds you know, like the young shoots. Mm. Okay. And you snip, 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 snip. Same with lavender, just newly flowering tops. You could get, you know, there's oil in the stem. I have the juniper berry. You would want to take the berries, but you could harvest the top, you know, the, the top of the twig with the berries. So you want to get where the aromatics are, like lemongrass. You take the, you could take the whole plant. Um, you wouldn't take the roots. Let's say rose, you just want the rose petals. You don't want any green parts. So it's just about who's the plant and where is the most oil produced. For a lot of gardeners who may have roses that are unpruned, they may be seeing this time of year in the wintertime rose hips, which people use for rose hip tea. Tea. So how easy is it to make rose hip tea? Super easy. I love that you said that because my mother harvested, she's in Michigan, harvested some rose hips for me and then dried them. It was such a nice gift of her for her to do that. And then I just take the rose hip for like a cup of tea. I'll take two to three, four rose hips and let them gently steep. Oh, it's so nice. Oh, okay. That's easy. It sounds easier than distilling to make essential oils. It is. And that's the thing about being a mindful practitioner of aromatherapy is love the plants and turn to the application that's needed. So I do want to give this shout out to, I don't have it with me, rosehip oil, Mm. like pressed, when you press the rosehip and it has the seed, it has an incredibly beautiful oil that could be nice for topical applications. Oh, really? To support skin health. Would you attract bees then? <laughs> Actually, no, because the rosehip is not really aromatic, mm. uh, and it's very protective for the skin. Generally, the species is from uh, South America. I'm forgetting the 
species name, but rosehip seed oil is incredibly lovely to protect your skin for all gardeners, right? We forget to put our sunscreen on. It's a nice oil to look into, and most health food stores will have rosehip seed oil. I've told you about Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planters. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. They're BPA-free and lead-free, making them safe for growing vegetables and other edibles. Well, the folks at Smart Pots have added a new product to their lineup, perfect for building the healthiest soil imaginable for your garden by composting. It's the Smart Pot Compost Sack, a large 100-gallon fabric bag that's lightweight yet extremely durable and lasts for years. It can hold 12 cubic feet of pure compost. This rugged fabric is entirely porous, containing many micropores that allow for air circulation and drainage. It's easy to start a compost pile with the Smart Pot Compost Sack. Just open the sack, set it on level ground, and start adding your compostable materials, grass clippings, vegetable peelings, coffee grounds, and more, as well as fallen leaves, straw, and shredded paper. Next, place the optional cover over the sack. That's all there is to it. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. You can find the location nearest you at their website, and you can buy it online from Smart Pots. Just visit smartpots.com slash Fred, and don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED, F-R-E-D. Do it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers and their new compost sack. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Let's get back to our conversation about shows for the nose, aromatic plants, with the host of the Essential Aromatica podcast, aromatherapist Amy Anthony. Now, when, one plant we were talking about earlier uh, before we started is one of my favorite shrubs that, that does a whole host of duties in the yard, especially here in USDA zones nine and eight. The bay laurel plant, Loris nobilis, oh. the shrub that uh, in my yard would get 15, 20 feet tall, uh, the leaves, you crack a leaf and, oh, it's spaghetti time. What a wonderful aroma. And it's so like the symbolism of laurel. Like I have them here. I have them in little pots and they're, these guys are probably two feet tall. I can't ask them to grow here. So I have to bring them in the garage where they overwinter. Okay. The poor garage. Um, what? Well, the poor garage. Your car's outside. Now you get you got a garage full of plants. <laughs> I do. My husband is very gracious. <laughs> very good. <laughs> but bay laurel is such a. Uh, I'm so jealous that you can have this plant. Um, I don't harvest its leaves here. I leave it when it flowers. Mm-hmm. Oh, those flowers are gorgeous. You see the bees visiting it, and you could just take a leaf and oh, crush it like you were saying and smell it. Or one thing I like to do as an aromatherapist is I like to, whenever I make soup, I like to put my herbs on the side and make a tea of it and an infusion. Cause that way you don't have to strain things out. I could do what I want. And then you lift the lid off. And if you have like 20 bay leaves in a pot of ever so slightly, you know, steaming water, 
it's like heaven. It is exactly. But Laurel, like, uh, just to share a couple things about Laurel, like Laurel, we cook with because it's really digestive. It helps with digesting fatty things. Um, I think it's like a gall liver type support. Uh, many of the essential oils or aromatic plants help with getting the GI system moving and helping digestion move along. But laurel, the way I know it to work with emotions, because when we work with the aromatics, we're working with emotions as well and states of being and uh, how we feel. Laurel gives you chutzpah. You know, it, it's like, it is, it's like a, I can do this. It's courage, right? It's been used for centuries for, you know, the crown of laurel, victory. It, it kind of gives you a little pep in your step. If you need that boost, if you smell some laurel essential oil, and as a tip, uh, I have a, on my website, lots of free videos and free classes. I have on the first page, how to smell an essential oil. And you might think that sounds so stupid, Amy, but really, how do you get something out of this for you? If you take one drop of uh, laurel essential oil and smell it on a cotton pad for three minutes, I'd love to see what your response is, because something's probably going to happen. Wow. Uh, okay. That's what I love is being a teacher. It's like, how do you work with the oils, right? A lot of us are like, I've heard of essential oils, but it's like, how do you really work with them and incorporate them in your life? Maybe start growing some of the plants so you get to appreciate where that oil comes from. You know, it's it's important. So there's a tip for all you salespeople out there. Before you have to make a cold call, you might want to sniff some bay laurel. I love that. All right. <laughs> chutzpah. Chutzpah, yes. One interesting plant that I grow to attract beneficial insects, because apparently uh, insects are hooked on nicotine, flowering tobacco. Oh, oh. And the tubular yeah. flowers attract uh, hummingbirds and butterflies, and the plant itself gets what, about four or five feet tall and two feet wide, and it has a great nighttime aroma. And I always love the plants that have an aroma at night because you come home from a hard day at work, you can walk through the garden and inhale and calm down immediately. Yeah, I I love to grow ornamental. So I'm in zone 7B. Yeah, we're, we're on the east end of Long Island on the North Fork, as it's called. And we have, uh, I can't grow what you grow, but uh, I have been growing native tobacco and ornamental tobacco and that headiness. And you see the different insects visiting these plants, like you're saying, and it's just, it's heady. It's just divine to sit there, be mesmerized while looking at a tobacco plant. Yeah, there is something. And that's the thing that like, I love to talk about aromatics and I geek out about essential oils, but like tobacco and uh, these gorgeous oleander, we can't get essential oils from those plants per se. There's just something about engaging our sense of smell and realizing how important it is to us as, as creatures of this earth and how scent is a, is a chemical means of communication. So scent in insects, plants and insects have been evolving together for thousands and thousands of years, right? And we have too. But I like how you're bringing up always go back to the insects because there's a special relationship that plants and insects have. Without insects, there's no fruit. So we, yep. we need it. So plant those gorgeous plants. You know what I want to share with you? Sure. There's, uh, I've 
was planting euphorbia. It's someone I'm getting to know, and it's in the back of our three-season room. I'll have to send you a picture. And I haven't been watering it, but it's getting light, and it just started flowering. And even my husband, who's not into what I do so much, and I'm not into what he does, uh, <laughs> it smell the aromatic smell from those flowers is interesting. And the volatile language is, is shared amongst all the plants. There's a similar chemistry, but I was like, I smell yarrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's a, there's a chemical language, you know, the chemistry is shared. So I was so excited that these guys are blooming. Yeah. Uh, it's new to me. It's, there's always something new. Unfortunately, euphorbia has the, uh, common name that some people don't like and that's spurge you you think of spurge you think of weeds but uh, euphorbia is commonly called spurge which makes it easy to grow we'll hope so i'm glad you brought that up because when i was looking at the plant tags and i was seeing euphorbia spurge i'm like ew spurge that's what i think yeah you know i've been gardening my whole life and i'm in my early 40s yeah euphorbia actually is a very there's just so many euphorbs out there that you can grow that are just gorgeous with wonderfully different flowers too one or two plants that you could probably grow in usda zone seven that are a wonderful show for the nose and that would be the uh, star jasmine and uh, four o'clocks uh star jasmine i just bought uh this year and i we live next to state land so we have deer that come to visit and i'm like i'm never putting up a fence but i finally put up a little fenced in garden and i put the star jasmine in there in a pot so thanks for sharing that i can't wait to see what happens next year and the four o'clocks are one of those that uh, put on their best aroma as the name would imply after four o'clock in the afternoon I have a question for you about that, because they come from South America, if I'm not mistaken, four o'clocks. And my understanding is they can become weedy? I wouldn't classify it as a noxious weed, but it is a tuberous-rooted perennial. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a red flag in gardening circles when you say tuberous-rooted, because tubers have a tendency to multiply, sort of like uh, the Alstroemeria or Peruvian lily, and it can take over an area. But, you know, if it's the only thing that will grow in that spot, let it grow. Oh, that's awesome. But you're right. It's just like, um, you know, when I have a kind of – I'm a novice still, I guess, compared to you. But when I have someone says, oh, I'm going to plant spearmint or fill in the blank mint. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, are you ready to always kind of pull that out from where it's growing? Or are you going to contain it in a pot? Speaking of memories of shows for the nose, uh, one of my earliest memories – would be my mother telling me, go in the backyard and and rip out that spearmint that's starting to spread. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You got taught young. (laughs) Yeah, it was a ground cover that uh, got away. Yes, I I, I remember smelling like uh, Wrigley gum for the rest of the day. I love that. You're bringing up a point that just... I was reminded of so many essential oil bearing plants. You know, we're talking about aromas, aromatic plants in general, but a lot of the essential oil bearing plants can be a little weedy, like fennel. Like if you let that go, I'm just going to oh, keep yeah. coming back. Yeah. Chamomile, she's everywhere in my garden. The uh, German chamomile, everywhere. Uh, coriander. Some of these guys aren't so contained, right? And a lot of these plants produce essential oils to, to help them thrive and survive. So a lot of these essential oil-bearing plants grow in really tough spots or, or pioneering species. So to go back to this gorgeous juniper berry, 
they they're kind of the first to arrive. Or I have uh, Virginia cedarwood here it's, uh, on Long Island. It grows everywhere. It's just such a noble plant. They are the first to arrive. Uh, after, you know, the birds eat the seeds and poop them out. I hope you get my point. It's just important to share, like, essential oils. These plants aren't precious, per se. They're fighters. They're just trying to survive. And and, and yeah. you brought up fennel. And what if you love the smell of licorice, I would say get a fennel plant, but I would give it to you with this warning. Put it in the back 40. It's going to spread. It's going to look ugly for most of the year. But... When it has that aroma, you'll want to be out there all the time. We have it uh, along a bike trail here in the in Sacramento County, the American River Parkway, which is full of native plants and some escaped plants. And fennel is an escaped plant that has sort of taken over in this riparian area running along the American River. But during the month of May, what a joyful experience is to bike the American River Parkway and just inhale all that licorice from the fennel. Yeah, and you know what? I love those umbels, the umbilifera family. Right. So you'll just see all of the different insects. Yeah. Oh, yeah. APAC family. This it's like the equal opportunity plant family where like you'll see so many different insects together on the same umbel. It's just fascinating to me to watch like a little kid. If you're trying to attract beneficial insects to your property, go with the umbel family. And umbel is almost short for umbrella, and that's the way the flower looks. It's a flat flower, and it makes it easier for the insects that are beneficials to get to the pollen because they don't have the long proboscis that, say, a hummingbird might have. So those uh, the umbel family plants are just excellent for attracting a whole host of great pollinating insects. You know who one of my great loves is, and I don't know if you can grow this in your area, is Angelica. Oh, yeah, sure. Gigas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Angelica and then the... Um, the Chinese Dong Kwai, right? The Chinese Angelica, too. Just gorgeous flowers and all of the different insects. It's just such a, it's like a party. Um, some would say it's a weed. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a party for insects. Oh, it's a party for insects, yes. But uh, yeah. the, the Angelica can spread. So around here, I, I've, I learned that lesson the hard way. When I planted, I had a kiwi vine uh, that re- requires some some major infrastructure to support. And underneath it, I used a beneficial insect plant blend of seeds. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the first one that came up and the one that took over the rest of the area was the Angelica. Not to uh, say there's anything wrong with that. I, we never, we don't forget these lessons though. Once you learn them, you'll never, you'll never plant that mint. <laughs> well, you'll watch Angelica and fennel. Well, there's a place for everything. <laughs> and if people really want mint, put it in a container. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and grow it that way. It's, it's easier to enjoy that way. Hey, talk about your podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, my podcast, I think it started out as a, as a way, Essential Aromatica. I want to make aromatherapy accessible to people. I want to provide inspiration. And if you're curious about essential oils and how, how do you incorporate them in your life? I have episodes that I'll feature, like I made a soup today. I'm going to talk about it and let's talk about, I put lemongrass in the soup and let's talk about the essential oil of lemongrass. And I really want to make aromatherapy accessible. And what I'd like to highlight is really just today, it's the new moon. So happy new moon day to everybody. I have this pet project I've worked on that I'm putting on the podcast where I take an essential oil bearing plant 
and I pair it with the seasonal moon time. And I talk about moon time themes. So this is juniper time right now and talking about it's winter. Even if you're in gorgeous California, times of scarcity and how to think about that and honor it and notice nature around you. And I pair a plant with this moon time and I have a poem I read. I have a guided meditation to help you connect with the oil, with the plant, with yourself, with nature. I think this is why we, we garden, right? It's to be, we're curious. We want to be connected with the earth. I mean, that's in a nutshell is I really want to make aromatherapy accessible to people and not just be a bottle of something you see on a shelf. And you're like, well, I have a diffuser. What do I do with this? I'll pause because it's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm here to share. I'm doing this out of passion. Uh, a lot of my work is out of passion, actually. Well, that makes you a happy camper. Very. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who who wants a job? I mean, I understand why they do it, but I could never have a job where sitting on my desk is a calendar with X's through the dates to the day I retire. I, oh. Why are you doing that to your life? Live your passionate life. And that's if I could just really share briefly. I worked in corporate America. I I was a market researcher, meaning that's focus group design, survey design, data analysis, and it's really cool stuff. But towards the end of that career, I would look up at this. Inc- I was in downtown Manhattan. I work worked at a very uh, global bank, and I was like, "Why am I here?" And I was just not happy. And I got to follow my heart in aromatherapy. It was like knocking the universe was like, we're here, Amy, you know, you need the plants. We're here. (laughs) And this is my way of connecting and hopefully sharing with other people. I'm glad you followed your heart. Thank you. But consider me as a, as a resource. Uh, I hope for inspiration, uh, for, essential uh, oils, aromatherapy. And I've been told I'm a passionate teacher, which I think I'd agree with. And that that's a good thing to be. <laughs> yeah, I invite, uh, I'm learned from me. I'm a resource. If you go to my website or my podcast, I'm sharing, I'm loving, and I want people to be as excited as I am about plants. The website is nycaromatica.com. The podcast is called Essential Aromatica. There are videos at the website, online classes, consultations, uh, a lot to read. Uh, check it out. Amy Anthony and Essential Aromatica is the podcast. Scent is information and it's cultural. So a lot of people might think something smells gross uh, from one culture and different in another. So one thing I like to challenge all of us is when you're smelling something, unless it's like horse, you know, dog poo, uh, like plants, all of them smell beautiful. You know, they're just communicating. So when we challenge ourselves to be like, what's that smell like? Just remember it's information. That's really deeply impacting you on many levels. And somebody in nature will appreciate that. No matter how vile that aroma might be, there, there is some yeah. creature that is attracted to that plant. Like the corpse plant. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs more flies? <laughs> well, put in a corpse plant. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Someone, some, that coevolution's there. So someone needs it and appreciates it and loves it. I love that. Thank you. 
nycaromatica.com is the website. The name of the podcast is Essential Aromatica. Amy Anthony, thank you for uh, being with us today and explaining more about aromatherapy and those shows for the nose. Thanks so much for having me. I love this. Just as I'm fond of saying that all gardening is local, plant names can be local, too. You heard aromatherapist Amy Anthony refer to a plant in her area of New York's Long Island as the Virginia Cedarwood. That's a plant prized for its oils and loathed by many for its tendency to spread. It's also commonly called the Eastern Juniper. It is, as Amy said, a pioneer species. That means that it is one of the first trees to repopulate cleared, eroded, or otherwise damaged land. It's a rather long-lived plant as well, with the potential to live over 900 years. It's found in prairies, oak barrens, old pastures, limestone hills, often along highways and near recent construction sites in the climate that it likes. So what climate does it like? It can be found in eastern North America from Maine to South Dakota, south to northernmost Florida, and southwest into east-central Texas. But what about this name Virginia Cedarwood? Is it a cedar or is it a juniper? Well, the botanical name gives it away. Juniperus virginiana. It's a juniper species. It's also called eastern juniper, eastern red cedar, or... Virginia cedarwood, a name most commonly used in commerce when referring to its aromatic oils. Eastern red cedar or Virginia cedarwood extract, it's an extract with a potent woody cedar aroma derived from the wood of the Juniperus virginiana. Among its many commercial uses, it's a fragrance component in some products. The fragrant, finely grained, soft, brittle, very light, pinkish to brownish red heartwood is very durable, even in contact with the soil. It's a very useful wood. Because of its resistance to decay, fence posts are fashioned from this wood. Moths avoid the aromatic wood, and therefore it's in demand for guess what? Right, cedar chests, cedar closets. It's marketed as eastern red cedar and aromatic cedar, even though it is a juniper. The best portions of the heartwood are one of the few woods that are suitable for making pencils, but the supply had so diminished by the 1940s that the wood of the incense cedar, Calicedrus decurrens, largely replaced it. Interesting, too, the incense cedar isn't a true cedar. Well, it's interesting if you like plants. Because it can spread so easy, a lot of people don't like it for that. If you suffer from allergies, it could be that plant, the Juniperus virginiana, the eastern red cedar. Its pollen is a known allergen. The pollen releases at various points in the spring, depending on where you are in the country. And it spreads easily courtesy of the cedar waxwing bird. They're fond of the berries of these junipers. It takes about 12 minutes for their seeds to pass through the bird's guts. And the seeds that have been consumed by this bird have levels of germination roughly three times higher than those of seeds the birds did not eat. In botany, we'd call that efficient stratification. Many other birds as well, from bluebirds to turkeys and many mammals, also will consume those berries. The weather may not be perfect for outdoor gardening right now, but it's perfect for planning your 2023 garden. 
Now's the time to plan the what and the where of what you want to plant for the future. And to help you along, it pays to visit your favorite independently owned nursery on a regular basis throughout the fall and winter just to see what's new. And coming soon to that nursery near you is Dave Wilson Nursery's excellent lineup of farmer's market favorites. Great tasting, healthy fruit and nut varieties. They'll already be potted up and ready to be planted. And we're also talking about a great selection of antioxidant rich fruits such as blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, goji berries, grapes, kiwi, mulberries, gooseberries, figs, and pomegranates. Wholesale grower Dave Wilson Nursery has probably the best lineup of great tasting fruit and nut trees of any grower in the United States. Find out more at their website, DaveWilson.com. And while you're there, check out all the videos they have on how to plant and grow all their delicious varieties of fruit and nut trees. Plus, at DaveWilson.com, you can find the nursery nearest you that carries Dave Wilson's plants. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Are you hankering for some split pea soup? We are talking with a noted chef and master gardener, Andy McDonald. And Andy, I know you love split pea soup. You're making it for the group here on this Saturday workday at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It smells delightful. Tell us first about your love affair with split pea soup. Okay, so when I was when I was little, uh, my Aunt Carol, who lived on the coast, uh, we'd go to visit her, and my father would take us out to uh, Split Pea Anderson's, for endless bowls of split pea soup. And I just thought it was wonderful because we got to go to a restaurant and eat as much as we wanted. And as a 10-year-old, that was a delight. So a few years later, I went back, and I wasn't as thrilled as I was as a 10-year-old because to me the soup seemed rather plain and bland. And so I decided that I would fix that. And so I, I came up with a different version. And I notice in the recipe that uh, you do the cooking in an instant pot. Oh, yes, I did that. Because for this instance, yes. <laughs> I was making it for a large group. And it was just easier and quicker that way. And there's no danger of burning it. So I, I made it in the instant pot. But you can make it stovetop. It just takes longer. All right. So what makes your split pea soup so special? Well, I use a blend of uh, carrots, celery, and onions. And I also add uh, russet potatoes and uh, cook those. And then the herbs that I use, I use uh, bay leaves and I use oregano and I use thyme. And, uh, and I use liquid smoke because I make this version vegan. And so you can't do a ham hock with it if you're vegan. And anyway, so I, I cook it in the instant pot, stir it really well so it breaks up the split peas after it's been cooked, and it's creamy and thick and has chunks of vegetables in it. Okay, I'm going to ask a very basic question. Mm -hmm. Can you grow split peas or do you have to buy split peas? Uh, I would recommend you buy split peas. I'm sure you could grow them and then dry them and, I don't know, <laughs> split them. <laughs> you just buy them. They're really inexpensive. It's a very inexpensive food that can feed a lot of people. Okay, another basic question. Where is it in the grocery store? Oh, it's with the beans. Okay, so it's a canned product. No, no, it's dry. Oh, it's a dried dry. product. You have okay. to use dry. Okay. Yeah, dry split peas. Um, they're like dried beans. They're actually, I think they're, I think they're similar to lentils. Mm. What is in liquid smoke? Liquid smoke is all it is. They take. I use rights. <laughs> which is one that's one of the purest of them. They take, uh, they, they burn different woods, uh, like there's apple, there's hickory, and they, uh, they, they capture the vapors 
and dis- and then filter them, and that's what liquid smoke is. Hmm, that's very interesting. It's, it's, it is weird, but it's uh, a little bit goes a long way, and so it you don't Im- go crazy with it. It Im- imparts the aroma of, of a pork? Yeah, well, like because um, hams are smoked. Mm-hmm. This is that flavor that makes them, this, it gives the smokiness to it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great product if you're a vegan. <laughs> now, you do have one word of warning, though, about split pea soup. Don't let it sit out for too long. Okay, well, what it will thicken as it sits. So if you make it ahead and refrigerate it, or you have leftovers and refrigerate that, then you will need to add stock or water to it to heat it back up because it will. you'll have to eat it with a fork otherwise. It, I mean, it really congeals. But that's not a bad thing because it just means it goes further. Okay, and then if you wanted to serve it as a soup again, would you just add a broth? Yeah, just add some more stock to it. For that, that's better flavor if you add stock, or you can even add water to it also. But stock is going to give you a better flavor. And yeah, and it's you just add more to it and make it whatever consistency you want, because it's not going to thicken as much while you heat it. All right, I'm going to show my uh, culinary uh, idiocy here. <laughs> What is an instant pot and how does it work? Oh, it's it's a fancy modern pressure cooker. You can do this in a pressure cooker too, but most people have found that instant pots are great because instant pot will have a setting like you can saute. You can also use it like a crock pot, but it also does the pressure cooking. When I cook it here, I started off using the saute feature and uh, saute the uh, carrots, celery, and onions. And then, um, and then turn it in. Then I add all the other ingredients, put the lid on, set the pressure, and pressure cook it. So it cooks the peas. So the recipe in manual mode, it says here, is uh, set the timer for 20 minutes. When the timer goes off, let the pot release naturally for 30 to 40 minutes. If you are making this on the stovetop, then add an hour? Uh, no. Uh, it, the reason, because it's a pressure cooker, if you just try to open it up, you will, like, blow everything up. Yeah. And that's unpleasant. So <laughs> you, <laughs> so if you're cooking at stovetop, you just cook it until it's until it, the, bean, the peas have all broken down and it's creamy. If you soak your peas ahead of time. It won't take that long. If you don't soak the peas, it probably takes a couple of hours. Okay. Other than the split peas, everything you add there could actually be grown in the garden. Yes, that's true. Except for like soy sauce. Well, well, yeah, unless you live next door to the Kiko Man factory. Or <laughs> right. Whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, because it is, mm-hmm. uh, it's olive oil, uh, it's onions, it's carrots, it's celery, it's garlic, it's potatoes, uh, thyme, oregano, bay. Sounds good. Yeah, so I call it my more than basic split pea soup. <laughs> Andy McDonald, chef instructor, Sacramento County master gardener, feeding the crew here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center on a workday Saturday with her more than basic split peas soup. Andy, it smells delicious. <laughs> Thank you. Enjoy it later. If you were scribbling like mad trying to copy down Master Gardener and Chef Andy McDonald's recipe for vegan split pea soup while you're letting your Tesla drive you around town, I have a safer alternative for you. Number one, we have a transcript of today's entire podcast episode, courtesy of the better podcast suppliers out there, or at our homepage, GardenBasics.net. It's all in episode 254. Number two, we have that recipe... Written down, ready to go in today's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter as well. And it's free. 
Plus, we wax rhapsodic about the plant from which one part of that plant is included in the soup's ingredients. The leaves of the bay laurel, Laurus nobilis. The bay laurel, it's an easy, carefree, broadleaf evergreen with minimal litter, perfect as a 30-foot-tall privacy screen while you're cavorting in your backyard swimming pool or hot tub. And because it's a broadleaf evergreen, it's a year-round hotel for small birds who will enjoy feasting on the bad bugs in your garden during the day. We have it all. It's in today's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. For current newsletter subscribers, look for the vegan split pea soup recipe in the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's in your email. It's probably waiting for you right now. Or you can start a subscription. It's free. Find the link to the newsletter in today's show notes or sign up at the newsletter link at our homepage, GardenBasics.net. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast comes out once a week on Fridays. Plus, the newsletter podcast that comes with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter continues, and that will also be released on Fridays. Both are free, and they're brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. The Garden Basics podcast is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes our homepage, GardenBasics.net. And that's where you can also sign up for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast. That's Garden Basics. Basics.net, or you can use the links in today's show notes. And thank you so much for listening.